Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the third Sunday after Epiphany. We are concluding a short series today called Jesus Appears. Of course, uh, that word appears keys off of the meaning of Epiphany. Jesus is making himself known as he begins his ministry, and we've been hearing about the last that about the last several weeks. Jesus appears as the Anointed One. Jesus appears as the Lamb of God, and today Jesus appears as the Light in the Darkness. Uh, I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, moderating once again, and with me today, uh, Pastor Phil Kasmer from Christ the Lord Lutheran Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, and Pastor Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School. Um, well, let's get right into it. Um, Phil Hebner, let's start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about the theme for this Sunday in the Jesus Appears series? Well, you announced, you announced well uh, the the theme for this whole little mini series that we have, which really is a spinoff, uh, again, from Epiphany. Jesus uh, revealing himself, making himself manifest as the light of the world, first to the Magi, and then little by little at his baptism uh, as, the, as the chosen one, as the Lamb of God. And today, as you said, the light who shines in the darkness. So we'll hear very clearly through our Lord and the prophet Isaiah about the darkness and evil in this world, which certainly we relate to ourselves um, today, but not just the darkness around us, also the darkness in our own hearts. And we'll, we'll certainly point to that today. The answer, the solution is always Jesus, the light of the world. And then we'll talk a little, I'm sure, about how Jesus shines through us to be lights in this world as well. Yeah. The, yeah, all these different aspects of that light imagery and that uh, that powerful picture that scripture gives us numerous times today. Uh, Phil Kasmer, let's go to you next. Um, we will be thinking about the first reading today as our sermon text. Um, could you give us a short synopsis of the gospel of the day and the second reading and kind of show us some connection points? Yeah, sometimes, um, well, every week, but I'd like to look at the prayer of the day and see how how well that encapsulates the thoughts of the things that are going on. And I think it reflects well, both the gospel and then the second lesson. Uh, for instance, you sent your son to proclaim your kingdom and teach with authority. And that's what we see in Matthew 4. Uh, Jesus comes in the first half. Uh, he is fulfilling God's kingdom, perhaps in the way of specific fulfillment of the prophecy we're going to see in Isaiah. Uh, he goes to live in a place just to fulfill what God has said. But then, of course, he fills out the ministry God has uh, given by teaching with authority the repent and believe the good news, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near message, or way at the bottom of the gospel, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Um, he's taking his ministry uh, that God has designed out to get the good news of salvation out. Um, now, he also, in that section, is once again, come follow me, words to the disciples, calling them into ministry so that they follow. And I think that follows on well in the second lesson of 1 John 2, uh, where John is essentially talking about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus Christ, and very much in the language of the day. Um, we're living in the light. What does it mean? Uh, I don't live in the darkness of sin. I do not operate in hate with my brothers and sisters. I 
follow in the way of Jesus Christ, the new command of having received his gospel love, I live it now. Uh, so I think in those two, we have a good, broad uh, ability to see beautiful fulfillment in Christ, and then also uh, sanctification follow-through opportunities for us as we preach, too. Yeah, thank you. This is um, something maybe uh, new to preachers this time through the lectionary, because I think that second reading is new to the lectionary, um, and as we'll see, uh, section of the first reading is also. So familiar themes in many ways, but a lot of maybe new insights, even if you've preached through the lectionary many times already. Um, so thanks for pointing those out, Phil. Uh, Phil Hebner, let's go back to you to get us started thinking about our sermon text for today. As I just mentioned, this is a little bit new to the lectionary. Um, the Isaiah 9 reading, those verses have long been connected with the Matthew 4 since they're quoted. Um, but I think new to our lectionary is that the first reading starts with Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. And the last section of that chapter leading into uh, then chapter 9. So um, I'll just let you leave it open to you, Phil uh, Hebner, if you want to just start us off pointing out some insights from the text. Then we'll go to Phil Kasmer and just kind of open it up from there. But uh, Phil Hebner, if you'd like to get us started. Yeah, I think when it comes to this text, it, we would be remiss if we didn't have a little bit of context. And, you know, maybe instead of some kind of opening illustration or story, painting a little bit of a picture could be a good introduction for a sermon here. So just, you know, lightning quick review. You know, Isaiah starts with God coming out guns blazing, the evil and the wickedness around them. But there's always throughout Isaiah these awesome silver linings of gospel truth. You know, chapter one, your sins are like scarlet, but they'll be as white as snow. And then there's the whole beloved vineyard thing. And then there's the calling of Isaiah in chapter six. And woe is me. I am ruined in God's presence. Right. But he's, um, you know, declared forgiven and that um, his tongue is touched right with that, that uh, burning ember from the. Uh, altar, etc. And then you have the, the virgin who will be with child, like I'll give you a sign amid all this darkness and wickedness, that the virgin will be with child and, and give birth to a son. And that leads up now to chapter eight. So again, the context of just complete um, immorality, and adultery, and idolatry, and wickedness, certainly many parallels for us today. And so we jump right in with uh, chapter eight, verse 19 with an example of how their hearts were away from God uh, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists. Um, certainly that goes on today, um, maybe in other countries a little more than in America. Um, but a, a word that caught my mind in the Hebrew is in verse 19. And uh, I'll see if I can say it right. Hum tzaf tzafim. And that root tzafaf, it's interesting in some of the... Um, you know, the grammars or lexicons, the, the definition there, um, and maybe a little bit old English, is people who chirp or are uh, Twitter. Um, you know, they kind of talk back and forth. And that just got my mind going with modern day examples of actual Twitter, as in social media. And, uh, you know, today, maybe a modern example of people looking to something else besides God are all the voices that are talking in social media, uh, just in media in general all the other comments about where to direct our hearts, our attention, our minds, et cetera, and how we get lost in that. And um, as you walk through this text, we see some of the examples 
of how your life becomes really, verse 21, distressed when you get lost in other voices, when you don't go to the word. I think Brother uh, Phil will talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, so I'll just mention one more thing. And, and I don't know, maybe brothers, it's good to talk about this paragraph, which is maybe a little more law focused first, and then we can talk about chapter nine, maybe a little bit after that. So one more comment on this first paragraph is, is just the, the talk about darkness. And like in verse 22, talking about the English, the, the darkness, the fearful gloom, the utter darkness. And then uh, in chapter nine, we'll have those walking in darkness. Those are all different Hebrew words for darkness. And, and you know, I like that maybe as a poetic illustration of just the variations of darkness that we have in our world or the complete and total darkness that surrounds us, you know, maybe not just one specific kind, it's just everywhere and not just out there, but as we said in the introduction, in my own heart too, um, I struggle to go to the Lord and to his word and to listen to his law. And I'm, I'm just lost in darkness and distress and I need an answer. So I guess that's kind of the setup for what's coming in chapter nine. I'll just pause there and uh, let the both of you add your great thoughts to that as well. Great. Yeah, thank you. Um, this is um, uh, old reference, but um, I don't know if you're familiar with kind of a classic book by Siegbert Becker on the occult um, called Wizards That Peep. And that's the KJV translation for uh, Safup, I think, is uh, comes from this verse, Isaiah 8, 19, uh, Wizards That Peep. So chirp mutters, they're making some kind of odd sound. Um, but right, yeah, not exact, not not a rectilinear prophecy of the social media app called Twitter, uh, right? But yeah, I like that connection there. Just gets, gets you thinking: what other voices are out there that people are turning to um, other than the the revealed Word of God? Um, yeah, good thoughts for application on that first part. Well, before I, I say too much, uh, Phil Kasmer, let's go to you. What um, other insights would you like to point out, either in that? section from chapter eight, or feel free to get into chapter nine if you wish too. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a key aspect, obviously, when we're talking about who are you going to listen to, is the mention in verse 20 of God's instruction and the testimony of warning, if you want to take the new NIV's translation, uh, or previously, I think we said, to the law and to the testimony. Um, but those two words there are the Torah and uh, what does it say? Litudah, the Torah, obviously we know well, God's word, uh, his law, the, but that word used as the full encompassing of all the things that God has said. Um, and then that second word perhaps has the sense of the things that are repeated, the things God says again and again to us. Uh, the call is keep our heads in that place. God has spoken. He's spoken again and again. And clearly, and in a gospel way, uh, and then as Phil mentioned, just in that first paragraph, 21 and 22, you do have the words of darkness in there, but you have the theme of, of hunger, which I think is a good one for illustration later that, you know, if I lose the things that God has said, I am losing the food for my soul. Uh, and then I get to be like what hungry is. I, I roam around and I am lost. Um, distress in 22. Uh, that word is also in there. Uh, the straits are when I'm stuck and, and in the narrows of life. I don't know where to go. I have no room to move. Um, so as Phil rightly said, there's a lot of the pressing, gloomy, weighty 
nowhere to turn kinds of thoughts, which is the result of when I take myself away from what God has clearly said. Um, and then in nine, <clears throat> I was just going to mention two of the words for darkness. If you get into two, verse two, in the land of deep darkness is in the new NIV uh, or the shadow of death. Um, I don't know that we even have to go to the shadow of death. I think you can just say nobody likes the dark. And that's the prophetic reminder in Isaiah a few times, 59, 60. It's in Micah 2. Um, when people turn away from God's word and they look toward the coming day of the Lord, they do not have a dawn and a sunrise and light, but it is gloom and judgment to look forward to. And then beyond that, as you get down into chapter 9, obviously the, the turn is the bar, the rod, the oppression. These are lifted. They're taken away. Yeah, uh, so I think a, you know, a malady in a preaching, uh, from a preaching perspective is coming through pretty clearly here. The, the darkness that results when you turn away from God's source of light um, from the instruction and the testimony, um, and you know, ultimately from the Savior Himself, the light of the world. Uh, other sources of information, inspiration, uh, looking to other places for life and light are going to be fruitless and just going to result in more darkness. Um, yeah, this is, I think, a one of those uh, texts where the the word pictures just jump out at you. Um, so many of them. Uh, Phil Hebner. Yeah, I appreciate what you both said there about the, the malady or the sin in the text, because I think it's really easy with obviously a lot of texts, but certainly this one to be so generic and general about sin. You know, look at all the darkness out there. Look at the wickedness and we can bemoan all the problems of the world or even generically also oh, the darkness of my life. But I, I think you both gave really good specific law examples that um, I guess like Professor now President Gurgle has said, you know hits you like a sniper rifle, just so specifically on when I turn away from Christ and his word in various ways of my life and, and turn my attention toward anything else. Um, that really is the darkness and when it starts to enshroud around me. So I appreciate those really specific examples of. Yeah. Um, should we get into the, the next section then? Um, and uh, kind of, yeah, sort of the, the gospel section um, in chapter nine. Um, I don't know, Phil Hebner, would you like to share some thoughts, kind of start us off there, um, working with that, uh, those pictures now of the light that breaks the darkness? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's, there's just so much to say here about the, the light, obviously the great picture there of Jesus as the light of the world. And we can go back to John chapter one, which is an epiphany kind of a thing where, you know, the darkness has not understood it. And, and the light has come. Um, but there's such joy in these verses, you know. Um, I guess a, an interesting question to ponder is, in, in what way is Jesus a light? Is it like in a, in a law sense, because he exposes our darkness? Or is it in a gospel sense, kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel where there's hope? And it's probably both, right? Um, but definitely the feel of chapter nine here is this incredible hope. And, um, you know, verse three, you've increased their joy and people rejoice kind of like after a, a tough battle, warriors are just happy and rejoice it's over or something we don't always relate to in our modern society, but the tough work of 
um, you know, with crops and that finally it's done and you get the joy of the harvest. And maybe along with that joy feeling when I read verse four and, and the yoke that burdens, you know, this terrible burden of darkness, uh, I thought right away of Jesus who said so tenderly, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, right? Take, take my yoke. Uh, it's so much better what I have to offer you. Uh, so I guess my th first thoughts on chapter nine would be just the incredible joy of finally having hope, finally having something to look forward to. Um, I love how God set this up in, in chapter eight, the verse that we were just talking about. Um, when you don't uh, consult God's instruction and testimony, the law, the end of verse 20 says, when you do that, you're going to have no light. There's no light of dawn. And so how wonderful that in the next chapter, God presents the solution right away. Oh, there is a light, right? He's coming and he's going to shine in the darkness. So really full of joy as I read through that again this time. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Phil Kasmer, would you like to add to that? Um, those, are all, those are all good things. I think you encompassed a lot of the word pictures that I would highlight too. Uh, maybe to be super specific about it, I think you said it, um, but you know, if we have in the gospel such a, we have such a super specific fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus, who literally is in Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee, um, walking right in the way that God said he would be, and then as he proclaims the good news of salvation in him, it, I guess I was thinking mostly of the light the great light as when dawn comes, you can see what is, you can see where you are. Um, I was hunting this fall and uh, you get out there in the darkness and uh, I'm new at it. And the area I, I was in was new uh, and you can't, you can't really see stuff until the light comes up and you realize, oh no, I, I'm actually sitting behind a tree. I didn't see that before. Like there is a there's a revelatory aspect to Christ's goodness where you say, ah, how expansive it is. God's enlarged the nation and made space and room and removed the oppression. Exactly all the things I was thinking of doing and wanting myself in the other things that I would look for, the other information, words of wisdom. Uh, but in Christ, he provides it very specifically. But I don't yeah. think that's super different from what you said, Phil, but maybe specific gospel, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the challenges with this text is that there are so many um, powerful word pictures. I think that the lectionary is nudging us toward uh, focus on the darkness versus light, uh, for sure, and, and Jesus and his word. Um, I notice in verses three and four, um, I wonder if that's a hint at uh, the Gideon account, um, uh, oppressed as in the days of Midian when the Midianites came in and you've got this land kind of just trampled down. Uh, but here the picture is a deliverer has come and the, the, the land that had been trampled down. And I bet Zebulun and Naphtali, you know, when armies invaded from the north, that that land got trampled down many times. Um, picture is the the oppressor is gone a savior has come the land has been revived darkness has turned to light um but i almost wonder if i preached on this text if i wouldn't have much time to get to that because i'd be, I'd be more focused on bringing out the the darkness 
versus light imagery, but but that's there too. Um, kind of the 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 trampled land being revived um, as a picture of the gospel as well. Um, yeah, uh, so we've thought of applications for uh, the law section, um, turning to other voices uh, instead of the law and the testimony that God has given. Um, you pointed out specific gospel pictures, the the images of the dawn, the light, focused on Christ, the fulfillment. Um, any further thoughts on gospel applications or or applications more broadly speaking, you'd like to add, Phil Hebner? Sure, I think it's important for us then to take it to the next step that the light of the world turns to us and says, you are the light of the world and, you know, let your light shine and that kind of thing. So um, what, a, what a joy for most of the people that we are preaching to and, and we ourselves included that we know this message already. I mean, certainly we, there is darkness in the world and darkness in our hearts. So we can apply it so specifically to our own lives, but we also already know, we know the light, we know Jesus. And so I think it'd be worthwhile to spend some time just trying to ponder the people who are out there lost in the darkness that don't know the light and the importance of us being the light that reflects Christ out to them where they have some kind of hope, some kind of, I guess I'll say light at the end of the tunnel again, so, someone who will let them know that the, the yoke can be removed, that there is joy um, and that it is through Jesus and that, that we have the privilege of being able to tell that and show that in our lives. Great, Phil Kasmer. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, there's a good, um, there's a good turn between the first chunk which we dealt with mostly as law. Um, uh, what word in, in verse 21, 8 verse 21, uh, they'll be enraged. You know, the anger and the distress and all of that of sin, which I think is very tempting to us uh, as we feel the trials of the world and different things. Um, and I think that's a good foil for the flip into nine is is so much joy. They rejoice, they rejoice, they rejoice. And maybe you have to re, I don't know, you have to repaint. Like I don't do harvest, right? Like that, that means nothing to me because I'm not a farmer. Um, I can pick my stuff up at the grocery store and that's fine. You have to find a, a now 21st century in my place, suburban America, <laughs> where do I rejoice? But it's like the picture of the gospel is uh, somebody ought to be looking in and I hate to use that awkward, that's a terrible law word, but they look on the people of God and they're not, they're not dour. They aren't gloomy. They are, they are partying. They're filled with joy and rejoicing. Um, I don't know what, what modern versions of that you do, but I, I think to fill out that picture that way, just to describe what we have in Christ is a, is a good term here. Yeah, and maybe we could combine that with what Phil uh, said about letting the light shine out through us. Um, it is um, being touched by the gospel, having that light, and then, um, you know, that light uh, can be um, attractive. Um, it can be kind of infectious, the joy that the light of the world gives um, and drawing more people uh, to the light through us. Um, yeah, and you see that at the end of the gospel for this week, too, where um, you've got the prophecy fulfilled, 
um, the Isaiah 9 verse is quoted, and then more, more disciples are being called, and uh, Jesus, the light of the world, is shining out through these um, regular guys uh, that he calls to follow him, um, bringing them the light, the joy uh, that can come only from him, and then through them he's going to spread that light and joy to more and more people. Um, yeah, any further thoughts uh, might be of, of use to preachers or further reflections as you think about this text? Phil Hebner? I think each preacher would just have to think carefully on, you know, you don't want to go too far and too many tangents, but it's hard not to also keep going into the next couple of verses and, and the Christmas part of chapter nine that we normally hear um, where it's really specific, like how can you miss this is talking about Jesus. I mean, aside from the fulfillment in Matthew chapter four and being quoted, right, specifically Jesus. I'm, I mean, man, verse six, you know, for to us, this child is born. Um, and, and all that great Christmas joy, making it so specifically clear it's talking about Jesus. Um, so I just want to say that, you know, maybe you weave that in or at least mention, again, the clarity of, of that, especially with Epiphany being on the heels of Christmas and, and hearing that um, those verses quite a bit. And uh, maybe the last comment that I'll make is uh, I'm just wondering out loud, you know, how would I preach on this text? Some, sometimes there's texts where I just, I'm afraid to like be cutesy or funny or have a little pastor joke or whatever, because the text is just so weighty and so meaningful. And I guess I get the feel from this text that if I were, um, you know, to preach a sermon tomorrow on this, I'd, it'd probably be more heartfelt and just the, man, the distress and the gloom and the darkness of this world and how quickly I get lost in that and how hopeless people are and how quickly I can be feeling hopeless and just the, the soothing, comforting joy of that light that has dawned in my heart and continues to shine on me. So I, I'm saying, I think I would personally lean on a more sincere and heartfelt kind of preaching of this text, because it just is very, very touching how God shines in our darkness um, with the light of his son, our savior. Um, so anyways, just some thoughts that came to my mind there. Yeah. So trying to reflect the tone of the text, kind of in the overall tone of the sermon, um, right? Trying to capture that a little bit. Um, yeah, just the the deep, deep darkness and yeah, the staggering around, hungry, uh, famished, uh, shaking your fist at God, yeah, all these, yeah, pictures there at the end of chapter eight. And then relief and joy and restoration and uh, light, kind of the dawning after this this long dark night. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Kind of a, just the heart, trying to bring across the heartfelt uh, joy that comes through the the light of the world. Um, great. Well, any further thoughts or any suggestions for preachers that you've got, Phil Kasmer? <clears throat> I think you can also dip into the second lesson and just have, you know, first John, second John, third John uh, are, are simple and direct in that way Phil mentioned. Um, we're talking about real Christian life uh, when we talk about the darkness and the light and what happens. And so like you have serious pictures and uh, weighty things, as Phil said in the first half of the Isaiah text, distress and hunger and rage, and that, that is stuff people see all the time. And First John 2 provides the good counterpoint toward my Christian life is not filled with hate. If it flows from the love of Jesus, it's filled with love 
for one another. Um, so I think that's good to hit on. And then as Phil was talking again, I was just rethinking through John, what you said before that <laughs> there's so many pictures in here altogether. I, I think it is a good, Phil's encouragement is good, the seriousness of this text, but also maybe to just stop and kind of take stock of all the 8,000 ways you could run with it. I need to be pretty clear and maybe I pick two of these or it's gonna be light and darkness because um, it could be a pretty big mishmash of stuff. It provides some just supreme and beautiful images. I should be careful about how I pick them. Right. I mean, it, it's just the, the temptation to say too much um, and and go too many different directions um, when they're, they're all there in the text. But listeners can kind of be overwhelmed, I think, or, you know, what what picture am I supposed to be thinking about? Right. Select one. And I would encourage, uh, you know, kind of light and darkness focus using some of these other things, maybe as support to, to support those main themes. But right. Not getting too uh, far afield from your central image that comes through in the text or central images of darkness uh, conquered by the light um, and the joy that that light brings with it, right? All right. All right, well, let's wrap up for today. I think we've given preachers a lot to think about in this beautiful text and um, uh, yeah, a lot to wrestle with, but boy, the, the joy, the light of the Savior who has come shines through so, so brightly here. Um, may you enjoy wrestling with this text and preaching it to God's people. God bless you as you preach the word.